Have you ever seen him when he does that in his speeches? He's just like, he says the wrong word, and then he just makes that the new reality. He's like, okay, I meant to do that. You know what you mean, Kafefes? Not it wasn't a secret <laughs> code. You mean that was just a typo that he tried to play off the real word? Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name is Michael Lockie, and today I am joined by Kareem Baruke. Hey, hey, hey. And Brent Philbin. Uh, he, he did the Carlos before I could do it, so... No, no, no! All right, today is Friday, Flagship 57. This is episode 156. That number surprises me every time. It is Friday, February the 1st, 2019. We're here, another month in the books, another podcast coming at you. What have we done recently, Brent? Well, you know, we just released a Waves 101 episode. We released that yesterday. Talked about the project, talked about my experience with their community. And uh, I don't know, it was cool. It was a project we ended up kind of liking overall. So check that out. And um, I don't know what we have coming up. We're going to have some fun stuff, though. You know, a lot of interesting people uh, had said things about Waves. So I'm interested in hearing this episode and see what you guys found. So I found a little Discord hack that I know Kareem will appreciate, and I talked to Brent about this already. But listen, guys, we may not get to your 101 projects right away, but I promise we want to do it. So in this example, I went to our 101 concept ideas and searched waves and found every single person that had mentioned it so far. There were five of them. I tagged them. You know, we care about what you guys are offering, but we're going to get to it when we can. So we understood there was some demand. They did win a poll on ClearPoll. Is that correct, Brent? Yep. So we, we ran a poll on ClearPoll. There were six options, and Waves was the highest voted option of the six. So yeah, that's where we five, decided. Ish. Uh, <laughs> so that's about as democratic as we get on this show. <laughs> Don't worry. We're going to have a basic bitches poll up there soon. A couple, couple people have been clamoring for that. We got some real yeah. OGs in there that have been asking for a revote. So, Brent, this episode, for the time being, is brought to you by whom exactly? It's brought to you by us and, of course, you, the patrons that are keeping us afloat via Patreon. $1 an episode really helps. That's all we're asking, although some people have chosen to give more than that. We really appreciate anyone who's chosen to help keep this show afloat, independent, and uh, happy to provide your content much appreciated so without further ado let's move on to the news section something a little bit more exciting than getting money from our listeners what's going on with all these sex websites brent <laughs> dozens <laughs> now nah, that's Mike. a topic for brent right yes, there this is, yeah. you know when i see something about sex work i say hey guys i'm the expert on that so give me a second here i gotta do god's work real quick yeah people need to know so there's it look this is just it kind of like popped to the top of our cryptocurrency so i saw it clearly some shilling going on but the australian sex startup intimate.io is releasing their token the itm and they're also releasing a payment processor in the money token in the money where the money bro <laughs> Uh, yeah, you kind of are in the money if you uh, are successfully running a sex website, I think. Right now, they're just taking it for, like, porn and, and like, dildos and stuff. But they they do intend to let you actually pay for, like, prostitution via their um, payment processor, assuming that it's in a country that it's legal. 
And one of the interesting things that they said they were going to do is have zero knowledge proof on like STIs. So if you were, you know, if you're about to do a porn shoot with somebody or hook up with, uh, hook up with a sex worker, you'd at least like to know were they tested within a certain period of time? Yay or nay? And did they test positive for any sexual transmitted diseases? Although I could see a side effect of people then thinking, eh, no, we don't have to use a condom. But that could be, uh, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll tackle that when we do the one-on-one on it, guys. I'm pretty sure people that are using a cryptocurrency with zero-knowledge proofs for sex workers is already made their mind up on condoms. This, in no way, shape, or form, is going <laughs> to change their mind. On the next Financial Times, cryptocurrency sparks unprotected sex use. Now, the next show of that one guy, who's that one guy that like sits around on college campuses and yells at liberals? And he has like the science has changed my mind. Uh, wait, who? Ben Shapiro? I don't know his guy. I don't know his name. He's he's like a he's on YouTube. Whatever. Anyway, condoms are great. Changed my mind. Oh, oh, oh! I've seen that meme. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the meme. I didn't know it was like a YouTube guy. Yeah, he's a thing. I've seen like a YouTube video of him. I don't know his name. So sorry, guy. I don't know your name. Come on the show and change my mind. I didn't hear the sign part because that doesn't make sense for Shapiro. All right. I'll, I'll try to actually get something relevant out of this discussion. Let's let's like accept for a few minutes that people are going to use cryptocurrencies for any exchange of value. And, and, and in, in reality, this is a very common and popular exchange of value. Ones that, you know, governments do try to regulate. They do try to, you know, control. Um, do you see something like this being necessary? I do not, but I will be the first to recognize that I, like everybody else, I have a limited imagination. So, I mean, whatever. Let's see if they carve out a space. But, like, yeah, you know, to me, there's over-niching, you know? Yeah, probably. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, but, like, okay, I understand. Like, once you have money, like, there's a reason why we came up with money as a consistent concept. Like, it wouldn't be more convenient for you to have to use bowling dollars when you go to the bowling alley and to have to use restaurant dollars, food dollars, food well, bucks when you Kareem, go eat. they also take Bitcoin, Ethereum, Binance coin, and, of course, their coin. So, it's all included in their payment processor system. Okay, fair enough. But <laughs> To me, this almost seems like... Something that doesn't need to start over the internet, but would be much better use case, like at a physical business, like at a location, getting the, the users of a certain like space area, whatever to use something like this seems way more important than trying to blast it over the internet, in my opinion. Yeah. Good idea. Intimate.io. If you get a physical location and you need some beta testers, reach out to us, crypto basic podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> All right, let's move on and let's take another step back to back. Uh, uh, we got a little more God. details, I guess. What what is this all about? We we got like some details. So back did release a little thing that was like, hey, here's some details about us. I thought that <laughs> I thought that it was going to be like how things were going to work. Like, here's our platform. Here's our things. That were, nah, they just said, like, here's our token name. Here's, like, you know, our token or not our token. I'm sorry, not our, our ticker name. Or yeah, here's you've our, used the word token twice. Like, there's no token here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. okay. I don't so. know why I'm saying that. I'm 
I, we're talking about legacy, so I forgot to say actual ticker. The only interesting things that I saw going through it real quick, they're they're closed for two hours, which is interesting because Bitcoin trades for 24. Although I know that their contracts are only supposed to last one day. Their contracts have to be for one Bitcoin, and they have a minimum pl- price fluctuation of $2.50. Um, and they're open from 8 p.m. to 6 p.m. So they close from 6 to 8 p.m. I got to tell you, it really does make sense to me to have, um, I know we talked about this before, but like, I would assume that a trading desk, but I don't know, it makes sense to have like a short period every day where you're not operating the business that gives you a chance to like. It reminds me of in a poker room, like pulling all the jackpot boxes and like checking the cashiers. Like the system can run fine without it, but it runs way better if you've taken the time to do it. Yeah. Better safety measures. Yep. Anyway, it'll be interesting to to keep watching back and see when it actually appears. I know they had some issues with the CFTC, so I don't know when they're actually going to appear. All right, Kareem. So this was an article that I saw. I'm curious on your thoughts. NASDAQ is working with some crypto exchanges. I want to know why, how, what's this mean to us? Yeah, I thought this was interesting because we learn a little bit about the the process. But this is really about exchanges, cryptocurrency exchanges that want to purchase rent. I don't know what the correct terminology is, license, whatever. The proprietary surveillance software that NASDAQ uses. So here we're talking about the algorithm and software that they use to scan for fraudulent transaction patterns, right? This is how they try to spot manipulations on their platforms. So now that you have all these crypto exchanges that are trying to use the technology, because of course, NASDAQ has sold that technology in the past to financial markets, maybe in other situations. But now that they're dealing with cryptocurrency exchanges and a lot of times small companies, their level of scrutiny has gone up. So this article from uh, Forbes was really about how they are basically kind of doing their due diligence before they rent out this um, this software. So it goes over the selection process for the exchanges that are considered in order to let them use the software. And one of the things that they said is, first of all, they look at how reputable are the products available to trade on the platform. And I think that's huge. If we go to crappy exchanges, I think one of the telltale signs <laughs> of a crappy exchange is that you're scrolling through the coins and you don't recognize like almost any of them, right? So that's right. their first uh, standard. The second standard is what is the organizational structure and what are the backgrounds of the founders? Again, that makes a lot of sense. And as we've talked recently after watching that fire festival and some other stuff, scammers be scamming, you know? So like... <laughs> If the founder has a hit, no history in financial markets or a history of you know, impropriety, obviously that's huge. And we see that a lot in crypto, sadly. And then the last one is, Brent, I know you're going to like this one. Are crypto asset listing standards in place? AKA, is there a transparent process by which they accept or don't accept coins a la Coinbase saying, hey, we're not going to have something that's not decentralized or we're not going to have, or this is what they <laughs> and have. And then they don't follow it. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they only put that out so they could get access to this. And then they're like, ah, suckers. <laughs> Ripple moon. <woo!" laughs> so total, apparently seven cryptocurrency exchanges have gone through this process and actually passed what they consider is their test, NASDAQ. 
And to be clear, NASDAQ said that they usually aren't this rigorous, that they don't have to evaluate so hard whether or not they're going to license their product because they're dealing with real financial, like big markets, right? Like stock exchange of some country or something. I don't know. But now they're like, they really want to be careful who they're associating with. The stakes are really high, right? Like if if you invite something like this in and mess it up, then you're setting an entire community back. You're setting yourself back. There's you know a ton of things that if you view this as an inevitable part of the future, then you should take a lot of precaution in doing it correctly. Yeah, they're super yeah. smart. I mean, the, the, that's the difference between the headline of random Cryptopia exchange gets hacked and NASDAQ partnered Cryptopia exchange, you know, like that. Right. Oh, oh, they, the headlines might even start reading NASDAQ software fails to identify fraudulent transactions. Yep. And it's something about just gross negligence on the side of the exchange. So yeah, I agree that this is correct. And by the way, for those who care about names and stuff, out of the seven exchanges, only two have been publicized. One of them is Gemini and the other one's SBI, Virtual Currency, which is apparently a Japanese firm. Interesting. First off, top of my head, I can't. I didn't think that there would be seven exchanges that would pass this test. But in a way, this actually says to me that, number one, there might be way more exchanges that are credible than I've found or that the sum of them that I found are more credible than I was originally expecting, which both seem like a good solution. Mike, another way too is there might only be very few credible exchanges operating per jurisdiction. And you as a U.S. citizen are familiar with a couple. Right. Yeah. That was part of my, yeah, yeah, that that was part of my idea. There's more that are reputable than I personally know. And I was including other markets in that. Well, Brent, we did touch on Cryptopia again. We're going to go ahead and go back there briefly. What else is going on? I just want to talk about this real quick. I kind of ignored Cryptopia after we reported it a couple of weeks ago because, in my opinion, like they're fucked they're, or they're stealing their own money and, you know, nobody's getting any money back. Uh, that is even more likely now because apparently they're still getting hacked. <laughs> like they haven't even stopped the guy from taking the money, whoever's taking it. So they, <laughs> they apparently he just has some private keys. He's got access to everything. They can't stop him. So <laughs> are you sure it's not Wells Fargo hitting him with overdraft charges? <laughs> <laughs> They're just ranking it. Yeah. So he's, he got another 180,000 recently over the last few days. Jesus. It's not funny because like, I feel really bad for everybody who had money on Cryptopia, but like, it's also pretty funny that this guy's still fucking stealing so- shit. I've used BitGrail and got my my Ryblox off before that whole situation happened. I've used Cryptopia way more than I've used any of the other exchanges that have gone down. I've done a fair number of transactions here. I did have zero in my balance. I've had zero in my balance for a significant amount of time. But like there were coins that I ended up getting interested in that were only available there. Obviously, that was partially a mistake of my own part. But, you know, this is another example of, of a site where I could have gotten thrashed at if, you know, the timing was different. And that's why we go out of our ways to keep saying, like, don't keep your money on exchanges. Be in control of your own private keys. Be responsible. Be your own bank, basically. And if you're going to keep it on one of these sh- one of these exchanges, don't make it the shitty little ones that suck and like have a bad experience. Yeah. And the other thing is like you have to be mindful of how risk multiplies, you know, because we're talking about layers of risk. It's if you're listening to this podcast and you're buying cryptocurrency, you're already engaging in a high risk asset. You're already choosing to invest in something that has super high volatility. Then on top of that, 
every time that you add some risk, it's like new layers. So, okay, now we're keeping money in an exchange. So there's certain risk associated with that. Okay, no problem. But now we start going to a not so reputable exchange or an exchange that's not uh, established in like a proper jurisdiction or that, you know what I'm saying? And then like each little thing, even if the risk is marginal, what people don't realize sometimes is that once you stack up a couple of 3%, 5%, 4%, 6% risk situations, the risk of is actually really high. The probability of something going wrong, whether it's the hack or the exchange going broke or you getting robbed or your asset going that whatever, it becomes really high. So I think just people underestimate risk and how it stacks. I love that point, and I kind of want to ping pong off it a little bit, and and I think I can use our podcast as an example. Even though the three of us have put a tremendous amount of work into this, we see all the points of failure for a small business. Now, you take a lot of these startups, they are often ran by people without a lot of business history. There are people that are just smart enough at this particular sector, and you see a ton of ego issues and the centralization of this. There are so many points of failures that I was unaware of even two years ago where, and again, this is something that Kareem has mentioned many times, you know, the difference between uh, malicious and incompetence. Like there's so many factors that can cause a negative result for your investment along the way that even if it's only a 0.01% chance of this exchange getting hacked, well, yeah, th- there's that. But what about like the CEO developing a, an opioid addiction or like, you know, a certain developer getting in a car crash or like there's just so many like little things that are completely out of your control when you're investing in a really small startup. And I get the allure of it. I do. I, like, we're all here for some reason or another. Money is partially involved, but there's so many extra risks involved. There's so many landmines you have to avoid. That's why. There's upside. There's always a chance of upside because of downside. Yeah, the, there's a direct relationship between the risk you're taking on and how high this is. And I agree with you, Mike. The layers are there's there really is multiple layers. And you know, when we're just thinking about businesses in general, like if you start a business and it's a good idea and you're managing it the right way, there's still probability that you fail. It's just from the very basic market forces, economical situations, variants, locate like there's so many random inputs that can make even a good business in a good situation with good management fail, right? So when you start adding, oh, I'm just gonna like trust the entire funding of this project to a 24-year-old who wrote a white paper and it's 80 million dollars. What do you think like <laughs> the, the layer, I can't even calculate the amount of risk that you're taking there. It's just, it's, you're driving a, a, onto a wall. You know what I mean? Brent, I'm actually going to, I'm going to cue back to you here and I'm going to forward us a little bit in our outline. Um, I saw this story about the NEM Foundation and it just fits right in perfectly with our discussion. So why don't you, why don't you get into the story a little bit? Okay, so I, I don't pretend to know the inner workings of NEM. We've, we did cover them in a one-on-one, but I don't think that uh, we've really talked about them much since. They released a letter that was very long, well-written, and basically their foundation is being dissolved. The NEM Foundation that controlled all of the uh, all of the funds from the coin burn and all that stuff is no more. And they started to feel the screws tightening, basically. And 
with the market going down and how much they were spending, the primary thing they were spending money on was promotion at this point. So they had these compartmentalized little like uh, sections of the NEM Foundation. So I think they had seven total regional sections or something like that. And they looked into things and they thought before they made this decision, they noticed that like they were both doing the same thing kind of. Like some of them would do it and then the other people would do it and they weren't getting a great ROI from what they were – from the struck corporate structure that they created for this foundation. They were hoping they were getting an ROI. The thing is they developed the foundation because they had one month of funding left for the people that they were paying. Not like they they were like, oh, shit, we've only got like a year left. We better think about doing something here. One single solitary month left of funding. They're dissolving all their partnerships. They're dissolving all of their projects. They're dissolving all of the employees that were part of this. Like, that's insane to me. Uh, they're, they're, and the letters like, oh, don't worry. It's totally fine. This, this is a great project still. We're going to be, it's going to keep going. We're changing it into a new way of managing everything. Sorry, I, I have to just jump in real quick because this just gave me a flashback. I know we've kept talked about it, the fire festival documentary. But remember when they have the phone call with all the employees and he's like, okay, so we're not letting anybody go. But as of today, nobody's getting paid anymore. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> nobody's getting fired. You all have your jobs, but no more pay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's so. I get the feeling reading this letter, and this is a straight up Brent making shit up thing, but it, this is how I this is how I felt when I was reading it. I think that there's at least one person who found out they were losing their job via this public letter uh, because of the way they it said they were like compartmentalized and they didn't have like you know one person directing everybody. They only had one person directing the compartments and stuff. And yeah, so I think that they. Uh, I think somebody might have found out that way. And they were a big project. We're going to keep seeing this happen. I think they cracked the top 10 at one point. Yeah, they were definitely in the top 10 we covered. I was, I was the researcher on this episode and I remember we were all, I mean, I think it was just Kareem and I on the recording, if I recall correctly, but everything checked out really well. I thought it was really solid. There's, they had tons of major relevant partnerships. Like this is tough. Not anymore. All of those have been dissolved. Any of them they were paying for anyway. Sorry, guys. I just want I want to keep hammering this point home because I think a lot of times our goal with this is to educate people and show them and that our listeners are in the best inform- situation possible with the best information possible. This is a good example. I don't really know the details behind it, right? But it's the same point. You're just taking a bunch of money that has volatile value and then you're giving – even if it's a foundation, which is like four or four, however many people, how do you properly budget – what your project growth is going to be with a volatile asset that was worth infinity a year ago and it's worth 10% now and people were demanding salaries like crazy because they're, they they could exactly. go to ICOs. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is difficult. A lot of projects are going to fail. Real good projects are going to fail. You can't waste your money gambling on mediocre projects because even something like this, just it's the structure is too difficult to manage. That's why 
I risk that's why we love something like Dash. That's why we love what Cardano is doing with the treasury. I know people make fun of us for loving on Cardano too much, but this is precisely why. Can't just give a bunch of money to that foundation. I mean, Cardano's foundation also had a huge issue. Like th- that that's the larger point here is that anybody could be involved. Exactly. In this. But they set things up so that when their car- when their foundation had an issue, they were just like, All right, everything's still working. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's the same level of incompetence at all. Just that even the the projects we like the most are going to have black marks over time. Yeah, and, but not just saying incompetence, Mike. What I'm, what I'm saying is that I actually think, let's say that I was put in charge of the NEM Foundation budgeting. I think that there is a more than 40% chance that as hard as I try, I will screw it up because it's so difficult for me to project future expenses on volatile assets. I don't know which is going in which direction. You know what's interesting? I, I, I've thought about this problem a lot because in, in my mind, I would love to find the solution for being able to use crypto for more daily payments. So, And it, I'll give a great example, Jason. We've had issues paying Jason with PayPal, et cetera. Uh, Jason's our editor for those who aren't aware. And I'd love to find a very easy way to use crypto to pay him because he lives in Greece and it's not always easy for us to send him money, et cetera. But how do we come up with a certain agreement that makes sense for both of us? Right. Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult thing to do. And the more I've thought about it, the more, the only solution I can come up with for something like this is Heather. <laughs> <laughs> your, <laughs> no. Your budgeting almost has to be in percentages of the entire circulation, right? And and my thoughts are like, we may know there's a certain amount of Bitcoin in circulation. And then you have to decide how much of Bitcoin only that this transaction is worth to both of you over a long period of time. It's really hard. If you keep trying to convert it to dollars and convert it back, I see it as like, an unnecessary roadblock that's going to waste our time and uh, until yeah, it but starts you're having solid value. That's the solution, but it can only apply to something like us and Jason. Because if right. we're trying to run a project like NEM, we can't have conversations with our developers because their rent is going to no, be No, no, no. Cool. Okay, so I didn't finish. I, and you're right. I didn't finish my point. My point for NEM would be, okay, we have X amount of supply in play. If the treasury has this amount of supply, this much goes towards developers, you get this NEM, right? Like you don't get a certain, you don't have a dollar salary, you have a NEM salary, right? And then you have to accept under these conditions, this is a volatile asset. We can pay you a NEM only. If you have it set that way, I feel like it's much easier to control. Or you can do it. But that's a whole other difficult situation. How do you get people to agree to that? That's you, you know, can do there's what some so of the other many projects do. Parts. A lot of these projects hold in they hold in cash, they hold in Bitcoin, they hold in Ethereum, they hold in different things. You I, you won't get as many high quality people developing for you if you say you have to make this much money or, or you're going to be using this much because you're it's going to make sense what you're paying them then, but not. In the future. So, yeah, it's tough. And I think also for crypto projects to become, you know, they have to have just real employees with real normal consistency and real business. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I think one of the things this shows, and maybe I'm making a bold claim here with not enough information and new stuff might come out. But I think that the foundation model is a dead end 
unless you're specifically on a project where you think the foundation is going to be around for like three or four years and then the project is going to be decentralized and that's it. That's the only case where I could like see an argument like, hey, we need this. We need to fund two years of development and that's it. But any project that actually foresees like a long-term sustainable development, you need a replenishable funding model that's not just a bunch of money entrusted to some people. End of story. Otherwise, I think this is the direction they'll always go. All right. I'd also like to point out that for once, I went to CoinMarketCap and I was expecting expecting them to be like up because when we talk about like crazy shit happening with verge they also like they go up but then like the, i i realized that the reasonable projects have reasonable people that are like oops my reasonable project is fucking doing unreasonable things so i'm gonna sell so it was down it was one of the top coins that lost for the week uh right up there with it was the waves platform so anybody who thought the crypto basic pump was the thing you are wrong <laughs> it's the crypto basic dump yep we man i take one of those every day usually all right kareem let's move on to you we got another story involving some hacking is this involved with the cryptopia group or is this completely different yes mike that is right this is not exactly the cryptopia thing although it probably includes the cryptopia thing this is a big picture there was a report that came out that made some pretty crazy claims i thought this was interesting so out of all of these hacks that we've heard about from different exchanges and different whatever, all of them combined. This report from Chain Analysis says that approximately 60% of all reported cryptocurrency hacks have been perpetrated by two major hacking groups. And that these groups seem to act uh, differently. They have some different properties. So on average, these guys have taken $90 million per hack. Jesus. Yeah. And this is really interesting, man. I think you're going to like this. There's two different profiles for the two uh, hacking groups. One of them, which they refer to as Group Alpha, says that they are giant, that they are tightly controlled organization, organized, and that they are partially driven by non-monetary goals. And then that you have another organization that they name Beta, which seems to be more loosely structured, disorganized, and definitely 100% focused on the money. Interesting. It is really interesting, right? Another thing that they said is that they, as they're following these through the different blockchains, that they're using advanced money laundering tactics. So, you know, they're transferring the money an average of like 5,000 times before they actually cash it out. Wow. And uh, they're usually waiting for the fervor uh, regarding the hacks to go down. So that means on average, the cash out for a hack doesn't happen until like, let's say 30 to 18 months after um, the hack has taken place. So anyway, the report was really interesting, I, especially the profiles that they assigned to the two hacking groups and saying that that much could be attributed to the two groups. So of course, the most interesting question is, well, who's writing this report? And should I believe a word that they say? So I was limited in my ability to like really do deep research on the company themselves, and I don't have the technical knowledge to like analyze them. But the next best thing we could do is just look at their history. I Googled them, maybe expecting, is this just like a blogger or someone? No, no, no. They've been uh, they've been hired by the IRS in order to uh, track Bitcoin fraud, transactions, tax evasion. They partner with Binance in order to uh, do certain blockchain tracking. In other words, institutions that have the ability to do thorough vetting seem to have 
checked off on them. That doesn't mean that they're 100% great and that everything that they say is right. But it does mean that their word carries uh, some form of weight and that they're not going to just put this out there with no evidence whatsoever. I want to know what the non-monetary goals are. That's right. like like you hear about white hat hackers kind of exposing the different bad things, but then they like give the money back and they don't keep it. These people appear to be keeping the money. So do they feel like they're, we're keeping the money, but we're also exposing bugs well, at the same time. motives, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, my interpretation from this, Brent, when I saw the description for Group Alpha, a giant, tightly controlled organization that is at least partially driven by non-monetary goals. If you look at description, that sounds to me like a government-sponsored hacking group. Now, whether Uh-oh. it's Russian, American, Chinese, uh, whatever. North Korean. Sure. That's what maybe. it is. It's probably them. Yeah, but I mean, the most, maybe, I don't know. The, it it's, seems to be highly effective. <laughs> Brent's use of probably there is very concerning. Yeah. Now, li- listen, Dennis Rodman went over there and he told him, like, y'all know about that Bitcoin? Advanced money laundering secrets. And then he peed on them. So. But anyway, there's definitely, if it's an if it's a state actor, you could see scenarios where a lot of their incentives maybe don't involve state the thing as much. And there might be other reasons, like some of the hacking that we see maybe to expose business, to put political pressure uh, for ransom. I don't know. So interesting stuff, though. It's a lot of money that has been taken out of the ecosystem by this these groups. One billion dollars total. Yeah, that is a lot. That is... Like, Every living organism has diseases, has germs, has bacteria. Bitcoin is no different. Uh, All right, gentlemen. This is a little bit backwards to me, but I like that this is working inoperably. Brent, what's going on with the Ethereum blockchain? Well, there is now an, a Bitcoin-backed token on the Ethereum blockchain. So you're, if you've listened to some of our episodes that talk about decentralized exchanges, we talked, we've talked about wrapped Ethereum. And the way wrapped Ethereum works is it locks the Ethereum on the Ethereum blockchain and then gives you an ERC-20 token equivalent to the amount of Ethereum that's been locked called WETH. Well, they have now put WBTC on the blockchain and for me, I was like, man, how does that work? Like, I, Bitcoin doesn't have, doesn't have smart contracts. So how is that a thing? So it works with a smart contract kind of on the Ethereum end, but it, as far as creating and destroying, but it does not work with one on the Bitcoin end. Uh, it is facilitated by the Kyber network, BitGo and the Republic protocol. And of course, the Kyber network is aligned with the Republic because Star Wars. Um, <laughs> what is kyber in star wars uh kyber crystals are what power the lightsabers so so generally the uh the jedi protect the crystals and okay so i am absolutely blown away you haven't given me a completely different reason for why you wanted to cover kyber 101 other than what you just told me no i hate that they called themselves kyber that what does star wars have to do with crypto it's a very I don't know if it means something else but I'm Why not? Like their their image is a crystal like they're definitely trying to Yeah, this future internet currency. Why would you try to attract the Star Wars nerds? That sounds like a terrible idea. I mean, they're they're <laughs> I, even Star Wars nerds don't know what kyber crystals are most of the time. So <laughs> Well, they didn't know what they were getting into with you. Yeah. 
Anyway, it, so it's supposed to work just like that, but they don't have a smart contract in place. So it's actually being controlled by BitGo right now. So what happens is BitGo has a wallet on the Bitcoin blockchain. And if they get a request for WBTC, they simply transfer that much Bitcoin into a specific wallet. And then on the other blockchain, one either um, Kyber or... Republic will transfer the WETH. So as cool as this sounded, this isn't exactly secure. If uh, BitGo decided they wanted, like right now it's transparent, but BitGo could just. I want to. I want to. I want to step in for a second. So BitGo, I've learned, is one of the largest custodial crypto places in the entire space. They. They, they are the custodial for Gemini, I believe, and many other exchanges. This is not just some random shitbag company. This is something that they do full time and they've been doing for a while. That doesn't mean that they can't just take it. Like, even if they have a, even if they have a good reputation, there is no check and balance in place. It is them. Now they said they want to have a doubt. How confident are you that there's no check and balance in place? On their white paper, it says they're completely centralized. So. Like it's, it even uses that word. Um, they don't want to be on they, whose white paper on the uh, W or WBTC white paper. Okay, uh, they don't want to be centralized. They want to have an or a, a DAO that handles the custody. But right now they're doing it only with Bitco. So they are uh, offering a DAO. Also, you have to be full know your customer to uh, to do the WBTC, which is strange. So it's not really in Ethereum, but it, it will function for now. I, I would prefer this to Tether because at least we can see that it's there. <laughs> so I, I like this as a, as a stablecoin model over <laughs> fucking. Don't worry, guys. Everyone's seen it. It's fine. Everyone knows it's there. Hey, calm down. Calm down. I mean, everybody has calmed down. You don't hear much about Tether anymore. So Brent, what more evidence do you need? Yes. The squiggle. Mm. No more evidence is necessary. Well, well, that that solves that. I mean. You're welcome. Always, always with the swiggle, the the squiggle, the swiggle, the the line. I just did that thing that Trump does. Like I said the wrong word, and instead of like correcting it right away, I just went forward with the same wrong and word. Made it more words, and then kept going. Like, have you ever seen him? He does that in his speeches. He's just like he says the wrong word, and then he just makes that the new reality. He's like, okay, I meant to do that. Now I'm going to say the other word. You mean Kafefes? Not it wasn't a secret code. <laughs> you mean that was just a typo that he tried to play off the real word? Yeah, yeah. He he says it, and then yeah. Anyway, watch a compilation of that. Whether you like the guy or not, it is really funny to watch him mess up words. Yeah, we want to do mailbag. Yeah, crit basic flags your Friday. You listen to the mailbag drop. Where we break down a member's thoughts Just starting crypto, don't you stop Keep listening till you hit the spot Alright, uh, I had a question from Lumaflux about the Waves protocol He said, what about their protocol sets them apart from other smart contract platforms? Ooh, okay, so that would have been a good He should have got that in in time when we asked people to tell us before we recorded the episode But he didn't well, this is also why I said, do you want to read this? And he got it in. I didn't give him very much time to get it in. So I decided, hey, this is a mailbag question. Why not answer it on the flagship? Yeah. You know what? If he bothered to go listen to the episode, then he would know the answer to this question. But <laughs> since clearly he the can't be bothered. Yet. <laughs> yeah, no, it released yesterday. Oh, it is out yesterday? Yeah. yeah. So um, All right, sweet. 
the the question is what sets them what sets them apart is they don't control all of that on the blockchain level so that in theory they can get some more things done they do control like the smart contract part but not everything uh it's a lot easier to make a waves token than it is to make an ethereum token and they also are proof of stake pretty clearly and they use like a delegated proof of stake model that they call uh, least proof of stake so if you want to know more about the specifics of that Check out that Waves 101 episode, but that's the quick version. All right, guys. It looks like we're getting towards the end of the episode. Is there anything else on your minds? Anything you want to rant about? Anything you want to talk about as we conclude Friday Flagship 57? There is a an Austin-based local radio show that I reached out to, so let's see if we can get me on FM radio. That would be oh, All right. Yeah, I'm trying. I, you know what? If you, you got an FM radio voice. I, I sure. do. I, I definitely have the face, as everyone likes to say. But yeah, I, I, I reached out to him. So if you happen to know, I can't re- I even remember the name of the show. Let me flex shouted it out to me. But if you know these guys, just tell them like, hey, get this guy on your show. Let's do it. And then I'll be famous in Austin. And that's pretty big because, you know, I just Life got calls. here. I, and I need to be famous in the city that I just got to. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for the Friday flagship. If you have not joined our Discord, please check the show notes and join. That's where most of the conversation happens with us. If you wouldn't mind giving us an honest rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, that would help us out a lot. And subscribe to us on your podcast channel, YouTube, wherever it is that you want to follow our content. We would appreciate it. And remember, the members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are not at all financial advisors. They're idiots, mostly and they are also basic bitches. So please do not listen to them. Please do your own research. All investments have inherent risk. Do not invest any more than you can afford to lose. All right. Peace out.